0: GM Jenko, how are you, sir? GM, what's up, Carlo?
1: <clears throat> Very excited for today's show.
0: Yes, yes. Professor is in the house. Very excited to have you. Let's jump into the introduction so we can jump into the conversation. Welcome everyone to Lex Line, featuring yours truly, Carlo and Jenko. We bring it in conjunction with our friends at Rug Radio, where we talk about new and emerging legal issues in Web3, blockchain, and cryptocurrency nothing we say should be considered legal or financial advice. If you have a specific legal question, you should consult a lawyer. You should do it privately, not on a recorded Twitter space. If you miss it and you want to hear this back, we are available on Apple and Spotify podcasts. And without further ado, I'm going to pass it to you, Jenko, to introduce our special guest today. Tanya, it's a pleasure to have you on Lexline. Thank you.
1: Very cool. Is she... did professor join us? I invited her. I'm bringing her up now to speak. Um, yeah, I, I've just always, I've just always known her as professor Evans on, on my Twitter feed. And I'm very excited. Um, if we can get her on the stage to join us today, it's been a, a while that I've been hoping to have her join us. Um, Anyone in the audience, just please raise your hand and join because I, I want to have. I know what I'm going to pick her brain about, but I want to have everybody have. You know, I think it's a richer conversation when folks jump up. Um, Carlo, I'm my. I, it says I'm I'm muted. Am I being heard, or it's kind of freezing? No, to me? you're
0: okay. you're heard. You're good. I just sent uh, Professor a invite to speak. Franklin's coming up. Long time no talk, Franklin. Let's get you up in into the house. I know you're excited about this one as well. And uh, thank you to everyone who joined us well, today. Let's give, her,
1: let's give her a few minutes. Is there any uh, any? Um, oh, everyone muted, unmuted. Um, news that we didn't we haven't had the opportunity to cover. Oh Maybe man, there's, there's, <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's so much going on. I just saw late breaking news. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but apparently Coinbase responded back. To the SEC on the mandamus Ah, issue. that was due
1: yesterday, perhaps? Maybe this morning? Yep.
0: Yep. So they responded. Is
1: there a link, Carl? I
0: will. I will retweet that now, and uh, I'll share that.
1: Oh my gosh, I can't even keep up.
0: Franklin, speaking of not being able to keep up, what's good in your world? What's up, Franklin? Hey, hey,
1: what's
2: up? So excited to be here listening to Prof. Evans. Uh yeah y'all I'm, I'm so excited about this uh no there's so much happening right now in the what I focus on which is like creator economy law so that includes everything from platforms to copyright all of
1: that it has been a crazy last two weeks
2: just to say what
1: are it. the top what are two of the top five things you don't need to prioritize them but what are the things yeah. that jump out at you that we need to know about uh well I mean I think everybody at this point has seen the
2: results of the Warhol Goldsmith case uh that one was pretty major um but aside from that the from a privacy law standpoint meta's new fine that they're facing and more specifically facebook ireland is the entity um from the eu uh 1.2 billion is uh, euros is it was is... a big deal huh <laughs> yeah i would say i would say so um and, and the interesting thing is based on this concept of data transfer so transferring the personal data of EU citizens or EEA citizens
1: um, to the U S really is what they're focused on right now. So um. I want to bring you back. um, We're going to, we're going to have professor with us just till about one o'clock. So I want to bring you back because I want to talk to you about like, um, was there, was there a real estate, case FTC case we're like a, a um, yes someone on TV was promising real estate returns <laughs> I, I, I want to just give you a heads up that I'm gonna quiz you on that next time you join us awesome yeah let's all do right it. cool cool professor
3: welcome how are you hello 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 I'm doing great how is everybody I'm so glad to be here with you I'm a big fan. This is cool. This is excellent. We're using the bird app for good. I appreciate you all. So, see? I'm trying. Well,
1: we appreciate all the work that that you've done and, and just who you are. So, this 30 minutes is going to be exciting. I emailed you kind of the topics. Yeah. And the number one topic
3: that I wrote was, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> well, I love the... Um... I like that. It's a good open-ended thing. Professors like that. I'll ask you a series of I, I want to know questions. where your head is at. Yeah. Um, yeah. I actually think this is a, a really interesting time. I've had my head down a bit, finishing up some things with my, with the book that comes out in the fall. We can talk about that later. But really pressing myself on how to demystify this space specifically for lawyers. And I spend a lot of time, I guess, on the, the retail side when I think about Um, the power and promise of the technology. And I'm actually extremely risk adverse, generally speaking, but I'm also a lifelong learner and I feel a a huge responsibility to empower my students to really be conversant and show up for the builders in this space in particular. And after serving as the chair of the Maker Foundation, completely falling head over heels in in kind of the, the DeFi space in particular, People will never be able to take advantage of all that decentralized finance has and what it means if they don't have a very strong um, onboarding experience. So many people got wrecked and obviously the crypto contagion, the year that shall not be named. Um, But even before that, you know, you and uh, folks like us have kind of gone back and forth through bull and bear cycles and aren't necessarily skittish there. But when we think about adoption, when we think about other opportunities to build, not just uh, not just invest. We just, as lawyers in particular, have a really, really big, um, a huge responsibility to do this ethically, do this well, and to make sure that there are enough of us to go around for all the people who will need us. So that's really where my head has been at, to figure out that's how awesome. to empower lawyers and certainly the next wave of, of lawyers, law students, to be able to show up and do all the things that we're called to do. So that, that's where my head is.
0: I what think, specific classes oh, are you teaching ahead.
3: right now, Professor? Oh,
0: yeah, I'm sorry, Jenko. I just wanted <laughs> to ask, what what classes are you specifically teaching right now at Dickinson? I
3: teach, uh, obviously, uh, blockchain, crypto, and the law, but I also teach administrative law and information privacy law. And I'm a, a, an IP lawyer, but it's interesting to try and get my package right to teach all the things that I love in one year without um, going crazy in the process. I think uh, admin law in particular, they kind of Dragged me in, kicking and screaming, because I'm really an IP lawyer by training. But I learned because you got to stay ahead of the class. When you know I'm like a an admin law tourist. That's not my jam. Uh, But learned so much in a timely way. So like showing up for House Financial Committee, House Financial Services Committee hearings, and being able to do the policy and education work. It really hinged on the uh, on the admin law stuff. So that's my package right now.
1: That's really cool. I, I, um, yeah, it's tough to, to hone in. You've you've done so much and are doing so much. I do want to understand the book and and hear your thoughts on that process mm-hmm. and, and and understand that experience. Um, but I just want to know, and maybe ask you where it comes from. Mm. But as someone who listens to you speak and and you know what you tweet out and your content, and I, I know you're an educator as well there's like this abundance mindset. Like your, your first thought was, I need to make sure that there's enough lawyers to serve all the work that's going to happen. When a lot of our colleagues are thinking, I need to be competitive in the old model and make sure I get the work. Mm-hmm. Where, where does that framework come from in or outside of like the business of running a practice? Just, just in general, that
3: attitude. That's a, a wonderful question because I think we need to take a lot of lessons from the DeFi space and those who were building, you know, just layer one solutions across the board. I'm not particularly beholden to one project um, or one platform, and I suspect you two aren't um, as well, but this idea of hyper competition and being siloed and gatekeeping information is the antithesis of this space it makes no sense. And to be able to successfully build a practice in this space and really show up for people, it requires us to get together in forums like this, conferences, formally and informally, informing each other so that we are better at doing what we're called to do. At the end of the day, I'm a problem solver. I'm an issue spotter. Uh, It requires us to have clear and effective Communications and written form and oral form. You cannot be successful in this space as a lawyer if you are not bumping heads with the other um, awesome eggheads here to make sense of this. Uh, You just can't do this work alone. And so that's why I'm so passionate about focusing on this. It was interesting in in kind of our, our back and forth in anticipation of this conversation. The idea of core values, I think some of that informs the decision making, it it caused me to sit back and think, you know, what does core value even mean? And as I was just kind of sitting with it, it's um, mine focuses like on a commitment to lifelong learning um, and also leaving people, places and things better than I found them, which means that it, it requires me to hear where other people are coming from and what they need. So that's, that's my approach to the topic, and that is my approach to educating um, law, uh, lawyers and, and law students to be prepared for this space. It, it's not—it's about collaboration. There's still enough competition and enough people to go around. <laughs> but we have to—we really do have to uh, collaborate.
1: I think being a lifelong learner is a huge hack or advantage. A lot of our colleagues and, and mentors, even to me, have they're just leveraged there. The practice of law, the model is to, you know, do, you know, over leverage your time as much mm. as possible. And that doesn't always leave room in an Excel spreadsheet when you're running a business for lifelong learning. In, in fact, our profession has to like mandate it and, and police it in a way with CLEs. Um, how did you, I want to get back to values in my next question but practically like what's the story how did you come to learn blockchain technology and and open up your curiosity like what's the personal history where you had that room in your life or you purposely kept that room available for kind of learning new
3: things Mm -hmm. I was always I'm I'm definitely a non-technologist but always an early adopter of, of technology so I'll I'll date myself a little bit and say you know I'm the first person to have an Atari, and a television, um, the first person to have a ginormous phone on the, my shoulder. <laughs> and so I'm always going to be the first person to to tinker with things. When I think about my entry point, my, my kind of uh, rabbit hole moment into the space, it was in the fall and the winter of 2017. And I was trying to reflect on what was going on in the space because I, I did not know anyone save one person who was doing anything at all in the space. But you'll recall it was kind of the real boom cycle and ultimate bust, but the boom cycle of initial coin offerings. Um, And how history
1: rhymes, doesn't it? How
3: how about that (laughs) That part? (laughs) That part. Um, And I, I had a friend who was in a master's program and she had some blockchain and media group and they were getting together um exploring the intersection of media which had I was remotely in, interested because I also teach sometimes entertainment law courses as well um related specifically to IP stuff so she was she was talking about all these things like something about magic internet money something about ledgers but you know just really heavy in jargon and we we're always trying to make sense of it but around the same time I was interviewing prospective uh, Law professors, and one in particular was writing his paper, shout out to Randy Robinson, um, writing his paper about in, uh, ICOs, whether or not they were securities, et etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So really timely stuff. And he was also an IP lawyer. And afterwards, I was talking with him about open source software, tons of people were building um, in the EVM space, and we're starting to ask questions about how to monetize their projects on top of Ethereum, right, particularly because it's grounded in open source software. And I was like, okay, now that's fascinating. That's in a lane, and I can understand that. And so I took a deep, like, two-week dive into the rabbit hole around Christmas time. I remember <laughs> visiting my mom. I was evidently locked away in my pajamas for two weeks, and I came out and said, oh, my God, it's going to change the world. And it was also a time when people were saying blockchain, not Bitcoin. You know, it was kind of the, the pullback, as we see from time to time. But that was my entry point, And that's, that's what I recommend to all lawyers. You know, we all have an area of expertise. Find the intersection of this technology and your expertise and start there, because you never know all the things about all the things. So that was my entry point.
1: That's really cool. That's really cool. Even like you have to find that time on a family vacation or holiday. Right. I really, I, I really respect that. I look up to you a great deal. So thanks for sharing that. Um, I want to ask, talk, go, going back to core values. Mm. Um, you've said show, show up for each other. What does that mean to you? Like, how does that manifest? I think we've got a little something cool here. Like there are people in the audience, they've all, in one way or another, kind of shown up for me, Carlo and Mm -hmm. I, for each other. Like, what does that mean as you're building, as a core value or as something that's top of mind as you're kind of moving through the space?
3: I think this happens to you and it happens to me a lot. And people reach out for questions. And I think, um, particularly lawyers, but everybody my, my DMs are awesome, but also a place where great ideas go to die And there are only so many hours in the day. And so I've tried to find ways at low or no cost for people to get some of those FAQs answered without me always having to be there. But if a colleague reaches out in particular and needs resources or some direction um, to the greatest extent possible is really showing up for people. Uh, This idea of leaving people places and things better than I found them means that I'm always going to show up. I'm going to be, Um, myself show up with full integrity. If I can't do something, I'll say that as well, but just making um, what I find and what I do accessible to others all the way, obviously, from like VIP kind of onboarding and coaching in the time that I have allotted, but I feel like I can have a greater impact if I have uh, a book or a, a masterclass or things that everybody can access and without me kind of compromising, showing up for my family and and things like that. So it also comes from kind of just like age and stage where, and and when I think of everything that we've all gone through in the pandemic, um, is just figuring out what is most important and using all of my time and my talents and my treasures to do that um, while still leaving space for myself it was a delicate balance. It's not a perfect fit, but it does mean um, it's kind of leading by example as well. Uh, because you mentioned, I never know, we never know when we're talking and doing these things. I have my own podcast. Sometimes I feel like I'm talking to myself. So it's always wonderful to hear from people that it is making a difference and, and that we are informing the path for other people. And so that's how I approach it and why it's so important to me.
0: It's a wonderful point you bring up, Professor, because collegiality is is critically important to learning. And, you know, we have so many faces in this in this space right now that are respected colleagues. And you're all welcome to come up and ask any questions you'd like. I see IRA out there, birdnaws, fidgetal. But it's it's wonderful that we have that in this ecosystem because there will inevitably times where we're going to be on the other side of cases. And obviously we need to be mindful of that when it comes to how we seek out advice and counsel from our colleagues. But generally, I think it's good for the profession. I think it's good for the space that we have this sort of opportunity to build this thing, so to speak, together and figure it out together, because there are more questions.
3: Absolutely. Way more questions uh, than answers, particularly because we are building this plane while we're flying it. And we're held to a higher standard that we don't have the luxury to kind of make things up as we go along. Uh, People who can fail forward and have a startup and it's an epic disaster, but they'll get more money for more funds in the future. Good for you. I'm licensed in four states in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, DC, and New York. And I have no intention of losing any of my licenses um, for falling victim of the quadrant where you don't know that you don't know. Like we cannot um, get ahead of our ethical obligations and responsibilities. And I feel even a higher obligation given um, the reputation of, of the ecosystem. Um, some of it is extremely unfair foot. Um, And then there are people in the space that make it really, really difficult. And there's some laws for that. We don't even have to make up those laws. Just, you know, there's some people hanging out in their basement right now waiting for their trial. So, like, we have some laws, but we are also responsible for um, creating and encouraging and, and educating those who are making the laws and the rules and regulations. That's the other thing I'm very... Uh, committed to because we get an opportunity to participate as lawyers, as policy advisors, as educators in the space, not just for our clients, but for the good of um, a thriving um, and innovative ecosystem here in the States and to understand our interconnectedness beyond our borders because this technology is global.
0: Well, you just look out into the audience and you see, we were just kind of chatting about this offline, but Birdnalls, Franklin, they put out these wonderful newsletters that keep the space informed, and collectively, uh, I think there is a, a tremendous utility in that because without without our colleagues here to to sort of keep us all collectively up to date, it invites exactly that problem where you can step into a minefield. And and I think it's it's important that we continue that open dialogue, and and I respect you for recognizing that. Ira is in the house, and we always love to have you up. Ira, a long time, no talk. How's your pickleball game?
4: Yeah, well, I've been playing a lot of it lately, and thank you very much for the kind words, and it's great to hear Professor talk about uh, her experiences in Web 2 and Web 3. And I refuse to come up here unless I can ask her some hard questions, so is that possible? (laughs) (laughs) It wouldn't be a show without you asking a hard question. All right, all right, all right, all right. All right. So, Your hard
1: question might not be her hard question. No, it's Go not going to be hard for her at all. <laughs> I can tell already
4: it's going to be like a joke. But but here's the thing. All right. Professor, I've been doing this now for over 30 years. Um, I started When I started out my practice, um, I actually started out in the DA's office in Silicon Valley, the lowest person on the totem pole. I did traffic court. And the modern internet came around in 95, and we improvised. Um you know, I, I feel to a certain extent like my career has been like far as gun. You know, these things would come up and I didn't know at the time they were important. But like in 95, you know, dial up, internet, um, we created some of the first websites, created affiliate programs. And then in the 2000s, I would say for purposes of this question, we noticed this thing called e-discovery that started to evolve, um, worked on early Sedona conference rules for e-discovery. And so in those days, you can get by by basically saying, hey, look, we're improvising. This stuff's evolving quickly. You know, It's okay for lawyers to take their time. But now I look back on the work in the Sedona Conference. I look back on the work. Like Franklin writes these incredible articles, um, just like Carlo mentioned on Web 2. Bird Knowles is writing incredible articles on Web 3. And I look at this stuff, and I say to myself, are law schools keeping up to date? Do law school... You know, we have these young associates come out and they're really good knowing the rules of civil procedure on the federal level. But if I wanted them to do technology-assisted review for e-discovery or figure out ways to do Boolean searches using SQL-like commands or in Web 2 or Web 3 to understand the intricacies, because almost everything touches e-discovery for litigation. And almost everything touches if you're representing business clients, the web and, and, you know, at least web two and and many times web three. So my, my question to you, professor, is are we still stuck in law schools teaching the courses that are needed to pass the bar or are there requirements now where folks really need to know essentially how to do electronic discovery, how to code a little bit and how to understand the laws regarding web two and web three?
3: We are still stuck. Next question? No. <laughs> Franklin, go ahead. No, 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 no. But the short answer is we are still stuck. I lose sleep over this. Um, I was the first person to create not just for a law school, but for folks outside of it. And then coming back to your question of all of the, you know, the innumerable failures at the law school level. Uh, For many reasons. And I'm a full-tenured professor at Penn State Dickinson Law. I have a co-hire appointment at the Penn State Institute for Computational and Data Sciences. I'm firmly enmeshed, but I also see the writing on the wall of what a terrible job um, we are doing preparing the next wave of lawyers. I created blockchain, crypto, and law online certificate program while I was the associate dean at Franklin Pierce Law School. And every year that I taught or every semester that I was teaching that fundamentals course of blockchain crypto and the law, because we had other things like crypto economics or token economics and blockchain government, social impact, um, uh, security, uh, smart cities. Uh, I was really proud of that. I felt like it was a bit ahead of its time, but after all of the years have passed, where are the other places and spaces where law schools in particular are um, committing to ensuring that there is some fundamental, some fundamentals course that transfers the divide or covers the divide between the law and the technology. We can't have siloed information and then expect to be able to speak to each other. We can't have legal be the last on the list because people don't want to go to legal to find out the answers to their questions or at least to explore the possibilities when the lawyers don't even know what the hell they're talking about. Don't know that they don't know. And that's going to come from a robust program some type of pipeline that begins probably even before law school, but certainly there, uh, when I think as a matter of uh, the competence to practice law, part of that, I don't have the, the, um, the code in front of me, but part of that is technological competence. If We're not technologically competent in an increasingly technologically driven and data driven society. It's game over. It's like blockbuster. Um, And I think that all lawyers need to have some, if only to spot the issues, not necessarily to practice, but I submit and I think that all of us would agree that this is not just one particular type of lawyer, but a lawyer that is conversant in this area to be able to spot the issues from a a regulatory and compliance issue, from intellectual property issues, from um, business connections and supply chain and people who are building monetizing, protecting existing IP portfolios, leveraging them in the future? Like, I could go on, but it's a really important question. And we all need to be putting our heads together to figure out how to make law students more nimble. Nobody's paying for 35-page opinions about at the end of the day, I don't know. Like, we have to figure this out. We have to advocate in the front. Um, So I look forward to building a world where, It doesn't take as long to get what you need in order to show up for clients. We're not there yet, Um, but but hopefully we're at the beginning.
1: Very cool. Franklin has a question he DM'd and asked Do you have time for one more professor? I know you had a one o'clock.
3: Yes, let's do it. I'm going to stay on until I'm trying at least 105, hopefully 110. So if I'm, yo, look at that. Well, then then I'm I'm coming (laughs) back in in the question round. Franklin, let's go. (laughs)
2: Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much for your time too. So I'm, I'm going to scroll back to what you touched on at the, at the beginning of this discussion. So I think it's fair to say at this point, we know AI will remove barriers to legal and access to legal resources. And I think as you noted also at the beginning, our, our expertise, our ability to know the right questions to ask, the issues to spot at the right time is our distinguishing factor, if you want to call that, our it factor. Um, but I want to couple that concept with what I see you doing an amazing stellar job at, which is not being afraid to know your value, not being afraid to productize your offerings and to layer in that element of here is an outstanding resource that I took the time to build and offer to you as somebody who wants to learn and grow in this space or somebody that's not even an attorney and wants to just learn and grow in the space. So I'd love to hear your your, your concepts behind being able to know your value and being able to um, not be afraid, if you wanna call it that, that's how I view it, <laughs> to ask for people to pay you for, for the information you're putting out and the resources that you're providing.
3: Absolutely, when I think of um, all of the ways that through our expertise to be able to show up for people to quickly not only spot their issues, but address their pain points and to not just give them a framework for it. This is how one would do it, go and DIY it to actually show up and and solve problems for people when there are very few of us uh, who are able to do that because of the time that we have invested in the space. Um, And so providing opportunities and a range of opportunities for people to online access um, different courses, that are assembled, masterclasses, or what I recently ran a challenge. I'm about to do another one called Web3 Leader Advantage. How do I empower leaders to do this? Because there's a, a, you know, it's about managing the risk for other people. And when you do that, people are willing to pay to make their pain go away. <laughs> we are out there on the front lines taking all of the risks to uncover. Um, The possibilities so that people can enter the space, both as a matter of investors or builders or other professionals showing up um, in a way that uh, is safe and legal and and compliant and also a level of confidence. I think in the both in the legal space and also in academia, it's frowned upon oftentimes to monetize um, education, but education is more modular than it ever has been or it should be where people need to quickly be able to get information and not just rely on YouTube University to figure it out along the way. And so with that comes a level of expertise that offers with it value. And I have found that when people place a high value on an outcome, they expect to pay for it. I'm about to go to St. Martin and have a luxurious three weeks. If I was at a place that was that that cost twenty three dollars, I'd be concerned. I wouldn't want to stay there. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't want to stay there. <laughs> can I can I segue into the book? Can yes. you
1: tell us what give us the, 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 the elevator, the the what's it what are the topics, what's it, what can we expect? And also if you can peel behind the curtain, because Franklin hit on a really cool you you uniquely positioned in the middle of a very Robust Venn diagram, not just academia and law, but also like content creator, author, mm-hmm. you know, student and teacher in this space. Like, how do you not just balance that, but what what's that experience like to go through the, the book publishing world? I, I have. I, I'm always fascinated there.
3: It's interesting because about 15 years ago, my family, um, opened a very small, it was really to, set, to support me, quite frankly, but um, an independent publishing company. I uh, published a series of legal reference guides for writers and other creatives back in the early 2000s. I was doing a lot of work with writers and other creatives, and it kind of in the same vein, I wanted something that they could easily access, so the Literary Law Guide for Authors, Copyright Companion for Writers, and the contrast Companion for Writers, and a lot of the contracts that I was using in my own practice, I ended up doing, uh, putting in there. So fast forward now, it's just the same idea of what can I create that is simple, accessible, and demystifies the space for, you know, the average person, or even it could be a lawyer who needs to understand, before I understand the legal issues, what is this? And so I wrote Digital Money Demystified to serve as the resource that people turn to before they buy an expensive course or throw all their money away at the top of a market or, you know, there's so much fear, uncertainty and doubt or FUD, but also um, a a misappreciation or understanding for what crypto assets are. So it, it takes the top myths, about 10 myths from crypto is only used by criminals, it's a fad, it's a scam, only for the tech and finance savvy, isn't regulated. Only for crypto bros to so take all of those and if there's a kernel of truth, I identify that, kind of get the origin of it. I'd share my own experience. Have a couple. Where'd of you cases. get that format? That's that's a oh, this fascinating. It really the ten know myths what, it, to demystify. Did you? It, it comes decide? from just the, the frequently asked questions.
1: Yep, that's a word cool and, and that's a really good format for a book.
3: <laughs> at a certain point, it's like I can't continue to. say this to every person who comes by so this was a way and then uh, coupling that with an online companion because my concern with writing a book in this space is that the minute that I put it out it was going to be out of you know out of vogue it would be completely wrong so it's at a higher level of here are the myths here are the realities here's your quick start action plan. If you want to enter the space, particularly as an investor, and here's how you do so safely and legally. Um, and it's coupled with digital money, Demi- digital money, demystified.com, which is the, um, companion online resource that we're still developing. So right now it has the book for pre-order and also a bundle where people can get started quickly.
1: Awesome. One of my favorite guests to, to speak with, we need to have you back. Um, I, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate the audience that stopped by and those that will listen on the podcast, Franklin and Ira for the questions. Um, I want to let you go to your meetings, but uh, again, thank you. If there's if there's anything we can be of service to you,
4: we're, we're here. We, we really are rooting for you.
3: Absolutely. I appreciate you. Go I, ahead. I, have,
4: <laughs> I have one last question, Professor, if I can. I, I, go if for not, it. How about this, after listening to you? Um, you make the um, $1 million certificate because it's funny. And <laughs> it's two courses, one each semester, their, their last year of law school. And if you take these courses, you're more likely to make a million dollars quicker than your colleagues.
3: Mm-hmm. And it's
4: all about tech law, Web 2 and Web 3. And then we track all the students who take it. And I, if I was a betting person, I bet you we would be right. Those folks Absolutely. would make more money uh, more efficiently and using all the things that you're you're putting out right now so how about
0: just that? need to know is this course going to be a security
3: <laughs> are we gonna it, 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 will there be an nft attached I, I think absolutely lots of nfts i love it I, i'm a fan and, and i don't know this tongue, tongue in cheek but i think we would change the world with something like that i think I that
1: happy. we want to um i encourage you guys to talk continued conversations like that because i don't know i i've met so many incredible brains working in different corners of the world in different corners of the, the 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 working world as well so like if there's a spark there please because like ira's a genius professor you're 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 beyond a genius sorry ira and like <laughs> i i would love to see anything yeah those conversations can always turn to gold but um yeah, anything to support the content that you have there and get it out, marketed, repackaged, that, that's that's brilliant. I um, love it.
3: Well, thank you so much. Thanks for the much. time. Absolutely. If you all want to find out more about what I'm doing and all that good stuff, go to AdvantageEvans.com. Um, fun fact, I'm a former professional tennis player, so that's where all that Advantage Evans – Grand Slam Circle, all of that comes from. We'll talk about that next time. But uh, That's where we're going. We'll go there next time.
1: <laughs> we'll, we'll I'm, I'm there next time.
3: My, my my knees need pickleball, so I'll, I'll follow up, Ira. Thank you. Well,
0: there were no faults today. Professor, <laughs> delightful conversation. Thank you so much to everyone who joined <laughs> Until us. Until
3: that pun, Carla. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Take care. Later. We'll talk Let's soon, talk everyone. this Coinbase um, response, if we can. Does, did anyone have the chance to read it yet? crickets <laughs> crickets it's 23 pages you take
4: out the table of contents it's 19 pages
1: all right I read
4: just to see who wrote it and I did see this is the one I sped yeah I think Scalia is is the uh, one of the authors which I found interesting he's a, a partner uh, at Gibson Dunn
1: I Might think he represented. I think he was in the big NFL case too. Um, yeah, those are the, the. Would there be any other? Like, what does that tell you, Ira?
4: Oh no, I'm just, I'm just finding. I, I just, you know, these are the things that I'm very shallow. So these are the things I look for first. I want to see who they have. Um, well, it shows to, it shows to me that uh, they want to have fo- folks who are prominent, uh, who's, in, who have good name recognition, in a relatively conservative court. So they're taking their time. Um, You know, I did have cases, ironically, in front of the general counsel for Coinbase when he was a magistrate judge here in the Silicon Valley. Extremely intelligent, Paul Graywall. Um, So he himself literally was on the bench. And so he's, you know, very well connected. He knows how the court works. And so his choice of lawyers is also something that is interesting. And I will say this. Um, how can I possibly heckle a brief written by incredible minds like that? But they do take a long time to tell me the law, even in their reply brief. Like, like what? What's the? You know, just remind me of the rule again as to why you get relief. <laughs> I know they ultimately get to it, but you know, it, is that stylistic it would, because it's a reply? That be a tactical that's,
0: decision that's, because really? maybe the law is not I on their side. Already, you
4: could. I was thinking it is stylistic. I was. I, there's a, so many arguments you can make contrary. But I, you know, just for me, from they the style purposes, I, I want to grant relief. You're asking for mandamus. Just tell me quickly at the beginning what you're going to tell me later in the brief, so that I could see the short version of it and know what my pathway is to saying yes. That's my only heckle on on that on that brief. And if I if I had that, I'd probably be able to talk more about what their arguments are right now. That's the, the roadmap. I mean,
1: that's fair. I I, I'm gonna spend some time reading it. Maybe we can catch it on the next show. But I, you know, it's a reply brief. I hope we're not rugging. And there isn't. I can hear you, Carlo. Can you hear me? Well, I I just feel we'll pick this up. Franklin's giving me the thumbs up, so I think we can pick this up next week. Um, and I'm gonna at least read it and outline it. But usually in this reply brief, there isn't a reason why there would be like new arguments. Um, the status quo. I think that they point out that the Gensler continues to make public statements that they feel help the case. Um, other than that, one eleven, a good time to wrap up. Franklin, thanks a lot. What do you, actually, since you're here, do you have a a, a gut reaction to that um, real estate FTC fine that came out? It was like a d a, a, a TLC star or something. Are you familiar enough to be put on the spot or should oh, I? I th- yeah. The, the
0: are, are we program? okay? I'm a, I thought we were rugged. Are we not rugged?
1: We're good, Carlo. You just chill. I'll mute you. Frank <laughs> Franklin are talking. Damn. That was savage. <laughs>
2: yeah, no, I'm happy to talk about that. Um, Go ahead. So yeah. So yesterday, I think it was, yeah, yesterday, um, the FTC put out a new press release and, and and advised on a new court order that's been agreed to by everyone regarding a real estate investment training program. Um, it's really interesting because I think first and foremost, it's important to understand the FTC typically goes after egregious cases or cases that are likely to get a lot of attention. Um, so this one actually started back in 2019. Um And it was looking at activity that had happened from 2012 onward and was as of 2019 was still going on. But essentially it was these insider financial um, people that were sending out mailers, sending out um, social advertising campaigns to host these come and hear how you can make your money in real estate and profit
1: like crazy um actually it's really funny one of the did you see the they... specific ad yeah one of the it, it said like <laughs> what, well i can't pull it up i'm trying to scan right now and i i'm trying to i can't pull it up but it was very go <laughs> it was very... it sounds like something an nft prod and anon would say but go ahead
2: yeah no no it's it's just interesting because if you look at the ad to it, it also has like just to show how dated and then how long ongoing this case has been um it has, like, you get, like, a free bonus disc, and you get, like, this this point point-and-shoot camera um, and can win $2,000 for showing up. But it's just, it's kind of this, like, my takeaways from it are basically not to rug pull. Like, don't host an event, like a preview event or claim that you're going to give away stuff for free and then start
1: overcharging people, almost like a timeshare kind can of mentality. We, can, we, can we dive in? The, the court specifically said what was it, What the one of the things they found egregious in my reading was they show up for a course and it's really a sales pitch for a more expensive level yes. which turned out think, to be a sales I think pitch this
0: space has gone off the rails can anyone hear
1: me no one can hear you carla or we all can hear you but apparently you can't hear us we're we're doing fine check check your dms um but franklin it that's that's not a unique business model in our world especially around real mm-hmm. estate especially around big names that we're familiar with that's almost the expected by the consumer like yeah they're going to try and upsell me here but I'm going to learn a little bit or meet some other rich people like is are there threats to existing models that you can see exist
2: in uh, in, so, in the
1: world so like i said at the beginning the ftc is after
2: egregious actors in this case, I would claim I would bucket these individuals and these companies as egregious actors because they were falsely representing that if you you pay a thousand dollars, okay, so that's a free event. That's a that's a funnel into a paid thousand dollar course. People do that all the time right now online. But what they were doing was this false representation aspect, this false promise that if you paid the thousand dollars for the three day workshop, you would then have everything that you needed to succeed.
1: And got it. And, and that's, that's just not issue. congruent they, with the ex- Right. They would then
2: start charging at. tens of thousands of dollars um, or start pitching for these additional tools and training programs that, that would cost tens of thousands of dollars or add them into a telemarketing program that would try to upsell them for another $30,000 exclusive inner circle training. So it's, it's that kind of concept of like, from my perspective, the FTC is going after these people because it wasn't just you pay a thousand dollars and you get what you're promised, the ability to become a real estate mogul <laughs> for that, that's, that's what term. it was it was like get rich
1: yeah. with get rich quick sign up here alright thanks right. a lot man that's really really insightful we're going to plan a, a Franklin day soon and then an Omri day we just need to get the time zones lined up um, so thanks for joining I'm going to wrap it up it is uh, uh, <laughs> Carlos giving the, the heart I don't know if he can hear us or not but as long as he's not interrupting I'll take it to wrap up. Franklin, thanks a lot. Birddolls, have a great weekend. Matt. Thank you. Omri, everyone. Um, peace.